people will say just this point, you talk about there's a new technological development, that what you guys are trying to do is stop technology, and you can't do that, and there's no, no way you can do and that. We're aware of that, of course. So what we're trying to do is, as the first artist, to basically come forward and set our foot down and say, wait a minute, time out for one second, let's just sit down and deal with this and try and get a, both a public debate going on how to control this for the future and also you know, in, in the course of the legal form to try and go after Napster and show to the other upstart companies out there that provide similar services that if you're going to do this, you're going to have to, people like Metallica with very deep pockets who are very tenacious and very uh, emotionally involved in trying to fight this on your back all the time and whether that's something that you want to continue pursuing, basically. Hey everyone, hey and welcome back to yet another episode of Alpha Metallica. This is, of course, your host, Tom Quee. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing, for commenting. I don't know if you've done that stuff so far, but please do it if you haven't. Please leave a review on iTunes as well. This episode is uh, slightly outside of our normal programming schedule. If you are aware of the show, we're taking the entire back catalogue of Metallica, flipping it into alphabetical order and going through reviewing the songs with uh, guests, fans, you know, critics from all over the world. Definitely check out all the episodes we've done prior but um yeah i've also been doing a few episodes here and there kind of solo episodes where i'm just exploring the history of the band you know there are certain moments in metallica's history that i find fascinating that i've not necessarily found enough content in one place for me to give me the whole picture and i thought why not you know let's put this stuff out together i've been doing this podcast for a while now i've accrued a lot of books that i'm going to be quoting from extensively in this episode that deal with all these different periods of metallica's history with quotes and ideas and theories and critiques that i've never considered myself so i thought i'd um you know can Catenate them all into one space, and yeah, we're going to tackle Metallica versus Napster. Which you know, you mention Napster, you instantly really think of Metallica. They are the band tied to that. You know, ideas of plutocratic rock stars or, or CD dorm room seeds, or you know, the, the, the environments, the courtrooms that we go through here. You know, it's a fascinating story. So I'm just basically going to go through here. We're going to go through the the origins. You know, how this kind of um, collision took off, the main meat of it, the kind of you know the face-offs between Lars ostensibly and and Napster and the repercussions you know the kind of uh, the reverberations it's had for Metallica it's had for the music industry and uh, and yeah all that but just before I get into that I just want to reiterate please um, subscribe to the show um, get in touch with the show at MetallicaPod on Twitter is a great way to reach me MetallicaPod at gmail.com as well if you want to come onto the show and do a song let me know um, I pretty much <laughs> I've almost got like the next year or so booked up so you know let me know a song that you want pretty much anything kind of from the E's and you know the F's onwards I might have if you, if you want to do like you know, I don't know, sanitarium or something that that's not been taken yet. So you know, let me know. I'll pop you down. We'll be recorded in two years, but it's all good. You know, I'll, I'll, we'll stay faithful to that schedule. So yeah, also got the Patreon as well. Patreon.com forward slash Alpha Metallica. All these links will be in the description. If you want to help support the show, I want to give a big, big thanks to everyone that is supporting the show so far. I'll read out those names on the normal Alpha Metallica episodes as I read out the emails as well. So get at me MetallicaPod at gmail.com again if you want to be on the show. If you've got some opinions, maybe you've got some opinions on the Napster thing. Maybe you're one of the people that um the you know net md they kind of uh with net pd sorry they, they file the things across i don't know you know great to hear your opinions on that i'd love to read them out in future episodes so yeah if you have any kind of um 
analyses of the situation along with my own please send them in and yet yeah, the patreon as well just quickly um two tiers the first tier is you know thank you you're supporting the show you get a shout on the show second tier is you get access to episodes like this episodes like my mission to lars review i'm also working on an episode which is going to be a history of metallica and guns and roses is like like mega mega tour you know i'm a huge fan of both of those bands so i've always wanted to kind of you know explore that in depth the shows the con well the other the very obvious controversy but just kind of the mechanics of these two bands existing in the same spot for was it weeks was it months i don't know too much about the tour yet but i'm gonna get very well read on it soon it's gonna be on the patreon first as was this as i say so yeah if you want to support the show you want to get premium access go on to the patreon so yeah let's begin and um the whole thing starts the catalyst was metallica's kind of forgettable i don't know what you guys think of i disappear I remember as a kid quite liking it. It was one of those early songs that I was getting into when, like, you know, I was like 12 or 13 when I got into Metallica, and it kind of it kind of makes me roll my eyes now. But I remember finding them quite heavy, almost too heavy for my tastes. And I found I Disappear kind of mainstream accessible. So as a 12 year old, I was I was rocking out to that boom wow. But you know, I listened to it just forward on air, and it's it's a bit stilted. And you know, I've always found it ironic in a poetic type of way. And maybe this is me being ridiculously tenuous. So call me out if I am. But you know, this whole saga is about you know the physical moving into the ephemeral you know the kind of the mp3 becoming the replacement for the unit shifter the i you know the ipod of the, of the imac of whatever that signifies in this kind of um you know this elusive realm disappearing i dis the fact that the song's called i disappear and then things are just disappearing into, I, I don't know you know maybe you can see where i'm going from maybe not but anyway I Disappear begins with this. This is, of course, um, the only song, uh, I believe, that Metallica have ever written for a film. This was written for Mission Impossible 2, which is... I don't know, is that the weakest Mission Impossible? Like, Mission Impossible 1's quite good, but quite kind of dense. I really love 3 and 4, but this is not a movie, you know, podcast. We, we, we can talk about uh, movies some other time, I guess. But yeah, um, I Disappear. Tom Cruise arranged for his private jet to fly to San Francisco to collect Lars for a personal set tour uh, in Monument Valley. John Woo was there as well, the acclaimed director John Woo, who of course did Mission Impossible 2. Um, they led Lars through the film plot, and apparently this is, you know, uh, Ulrich determined that the song should embody the epic scale and spectacle of the production. So they kind of, you know, very cool that Tom Cruise himself kind of sought Lars out wanting this song to be made there. And um, yeah, I guess it works in the context of it. You know, it's one of those classic music videos that kind of embeds subtle clips and, and, and references to the movie whilst having the four boys just kind of, you know, having their own adventure. I always remember Jason on that busy, <laughs> those busy crowd steps where Lars would, uh, well, Lars would inhabit those very soon after, I'm sure, but in a, in a, in a slightly, slightly more subtle, aggressive spectacle there. But yeah, so I Disappear was recorded um, apparently in the course of just one week uh, with Bob Rock in December 1999 in just a, just a quick studio session there and you know, the song was recorded they kind of had many many different versions there and they were going through and it was it was leaked you know it was leaked early on North American radio in March 2000 um, and Kerrang um, were interviewing Glass. Uh, this was backstage at the MTV Movie Awards, and um, he gives quite an interesting take. By the way, I should let you know, throughout this episode, I'm going to be quoting extensively, um, pretty much from Lars, but through some books as well, so get ready for some uh, some quotes here. Here we go. And this is Lars talking about I Disappear sort of, you know, being released, uh, and this is after the fact. Quote, We had a couple of different versions of I Disappear. We hadn't really decided which one we were going to go with, and all of a sudden I get this call that these three or four versions of the songs are being traded around the world. We felt that it was morally wrong, and we had to take a stand. I find it strange that people who know Metallica, and how we like to control what's come from us, think it's weird that we're going after this. We don't pick fights, but we felt that a line had been crossed. In those situations, you don't sit down and second-guess the consequences of the public perceptions of those actions. Metallica's always been about dealing with our own shit, and when someone fucks with us, we deal with it. And of course... 
you know, the, the song had leaked onto these radio stations via Napster. Maybe you're a younger listener. Maybe you aren't aware of Napster at the time. You know, 99, I was seven, so I wasn't exactly downloading songs myself. But Napster has kind of became a byword, really, for internet piracy. I know there were antecedents to it, and there were certainly a lot of predecessors. But this was kind of the vanguard for that kind of, you know, element. And Napster, I mean, how do you define Napster, really, for those not aware? It's basically a peer-to-peer file sharing service, you know, you allow access to your hard drive and your mp3s in return to gain access to others you can trade songs i guess a quick history 1998 uh northeastern uni uh it was a freshman sean fanning um who basically developed it with um well originally he asked for help from ollie igar who was a veteran programmer that he knew for his uncle and i think ollie initially kind of didn't really think this was anything doing even though i think it had like 40,000 users very quickly i think it was very much like a facebook thing where that kind of collegial atmosphere allowed allowed it to spread virally, you know, before viral is really a mainstream word there. And he teamed up with Sean Parker of Justin Timberlake, uh, Imitation Fame, and it started to spread. And they actually traveled to the Bay Area uh, to grow the business, which is kind of like a, a little irony there. Apparently, Sean Fanning as well. Um, co- 60 hours of nonstop coding was kind of the, you know, the basics of it. But yeah, so Napster, somehow, I'm not quite sure how. I was doing a bit of research, like how did this song actually get onto Napster? But I mean, you know, looking into these kind of things and how piracy happens. I actually read a great book recently, How Music Got Free, and that was talking about, I don't know if this would apply to I Disappear, but how there wasn't this kind of cohesion, there wasn't like this kind of underground anarchist piracy, you know, kind of cohort that were putting these songs online. It was people who were at the plants, you know, who had access, pre-access that were putting them on there, and it was kind of a determined group. But, you know, you can look into that yourself. How I Disappeared gone to Napster, who knows? But it did. Inevitably, it's going to, and that's kind of the story with, um, you know, peer-to-peer trading. If it can get through, it will, you know. It's like, like trying to tie water. It's, it's just impossible. And as Lars says as well, you know, the band retaliated heavily uh, as is to be expected of them who, who protect their private property so well and um, Mick Wall's book Mick Wall's fantastic uh, biography of Metallica Enter Night has a great section on um, Metallica's legal battles up to this point quote from his and Q Prime's point of view Q Prime being Metallica's management the Napster lawsuit was just another day at the office three years earlier they had threatened Amazon.com with a lawsuit for selling an unauthorised album of rarities the action that had partly prompted the release of Garage Inc and had gone off to online retailers N2K distributors of the Dutch East Indian Trading Company and independent British Outlaw Records over the sale of a bootleg live album in January 1999 they also filed a lawsuit in federal court in LA against Victoria's Secrets the women's lingerie catalogue seeking injunctive relief and damages when it was discovered they had used the name Metallica on lipsticks without authorization. I'd love to have a Metallica a Victoria's Secret lipstick. Continuing quote, they also sued Pierre Cardin I hope I say that right, over the marketing of a Metallica tuxedo. There was no PR backlash then and both companies eventually settled out of court. Just weeks after Lars's Napster court appearance, which we'll get to in a second, the band was suing the centuries-old fragrance manufacturer Guarlin for trademark infringement over their new perfume called Metallica, a vanilla-based scent then on sale for the head-banging price of $175 for an 8-ounce bottle. They also sent a cease and desist letter to department stores including Nyman Marcus and Berghoff Goodman for daring to stock the perfume, claiming, quote, dilution, unfair competition, fair fair designation of origin and injuring the heavy metal band's reputation. This is revealed by Jill Petrini, uh, the lawyer acting for the band. When the response they received was not quite acceptable, they launched a suit seeking punitive damages, requesting the court to order Nyman Marcus to destroy the perfume. I mean, 
I never knew any of that shit, man. Like, that is crazy, you know. The problem is, you know, perfumes and kind of brands are always looking for a slight suffix change on words, aren't they? Kind of just to envelop it with a get edge. And like, you can see, like, obviously Metallica, you know, they would be aware of the band, of course, but you can see where they would go with it. You can see, you know, why they would come to that conclusion. But, yeah, so this was nothing new, really. And uh, this was way bigger than that, though, you know. Them having a perfume or a tuxedo or whatever, it doesn't really threaten their livelihood in the way that Napster so blazingly did. So, you know, and the thing about Napster as well was there was a lot of issues before this. You know, Metallica weren't the first and they weren't the last. Um, um, in, 90, in December 7th, 1999, the Recording Industry Association of America filed a call, uh, lawsuit against Napster, accusing it of, quote, operating a haven for music piracy on an unprecedented scale. Napster is about, and this is um, the senior vice president, Carrie Sherman, saying in a, in a testament, released to the press quote napster is about facilitating piracy and trying to build a business on the backs of artists and copyright holders and you know there comes the uh the fawn really for a lot of people you know is this this free market enterprise that is essentially allowing people to just share widely if they want to or is it as Lars would argue in 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 later interviews and what i've certainly seen in books as well you know napster like anything else had shareholders, you know, had file shareholders, but it had shareholders, it had backers, you know, it needed money to run, there's a reason why Sean Fanning went to the Bay Area, you know, this wasn't something that was just run for a dorm room, this was something that needed a lot of processing power to have that, especially, you know, in these early, the late 90s, sorry, you know, to have this sort of monolith going, you need the the, the, the filthy lucre, um, so we get back to Metallica, this is April 13th, and Metallica became the first band to publicly confront the file sharing platform, Howard King, um, filed a lawsuit in the United States District Court pitching Metallica, EM Ventures, which was the partnership established by Electra and the band in 94, and Creeping Death Music, which is of course the band's publishing arm, against Napster and three American universities whose company's network permitted the use of Napster's programming. Metallica's lawyer, Howard King, said, quote, We don't know how realistic it will be, but we will see what we will find out when we go through the Napster files to see if we can find the people who have downloaded them and if we can then go after them. Our goal is to put Napster out of business in total and bury them. I think, you know, the problem with Napster is to coin maybe a slightly garish analogy. It's like the war on terror, isn't it? You know, it's a war of ideas, really. Like, you can't... To win World War Two. I mean, I mean, again, this is quite a garish comparison to today's modern climate. But to win World War Two, if you killed all the Nazis, you'd win, you know. Whereas here, if you kill Napster, there's nothing that's going to change. You know, it's the mentality, it's the ideology, it's the software um, that's out there, the coding. But, um, you know, it's an interesting debate. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to disagree with my concluding points here. But, you know, we're just, just going through the facts here. You know, as uh, as Metal of Your Podcast, shout out to Clinton Ethan. They always love to do this. So, you know, we'll, we'll go for this. And um, what I'm going to quote through now is um, a fantastic article from So What, which a lot of people will be aware of is Metallica's kind of um, magazine. I don't know if they still do it, actually. But I actually have um, with me at the moment the kind of illustrated chronicle um, of So What, edited by Stefan Chirazi. And this kind of collects, or Chirizi, again, <laughs> not very good with surnames, um, it collects loads of articles from the band um, on tons of different subjects. There's lots of just interviews, psychological profiles, um, you know, tour diaries and stuff. There's some of James's hunting trips chronicled, which are really awesome as well. Probably the most interesting article in the entire book, however, is an article, is an interview that comes with Lars which I believe is from the 2000 issue. So this is kind of, again, slightly after the fact of kind of the timeline that we're going on. But I think it helps to kind of, you know, 
really flesh out the context here. Um, the, inter- the interview is called Napster and Beyond, and the sidebar is Lars Ulrich talks frankly about the Napster issue and digital music in general. And, you know, he, he speaks about kind of what was the catalyst, really, for them really going after, and he says, quote, What I'm fighting for is my choice. I was never asked if I wanted my music traded on the internet. I was never asked if I wanted my music traded on Napster. Well, we're Napster. We have all these wonderful sites for emerging artists and all this type of stuff. Fine. Yes, you do. Because the artists gave you their permission to have their music. So the bottom line is really that we know that they have a technology to remove Metallica recordings that we don't want traded. We know that technology exists. They've copped to it. One issue that comes up a lot is because of our stance on Napster that we're pro-record company. That is not true. I'm not particularly pro-record company. I'm not particularly anti-record company. I'm pro-Metallica. That's the only thing that I really care about. In 1994, when we sued our record company, we were basically wanting ownership of the songs that we wrote. We felt that by us not owning what we created, the possibilities for our songs to be used for something else other than what we wanted later was there. One of the clearer things that sparked it off was when some of the Beatles songs were made available for night commercials in the early 90s outside of their willingness because someone else owned them. Yeah, I mean, I think you can find it on YouTube, but I think Revolution was used on a, on a Nike advert and it is just, oh God, yeah. <laughs> awful, awful. Uh, Lars continues, so we, so, so we we felt that we didn't want to see Leper Messiah used as background music in a toothpaste commercial unless it was something that we wanted and the choice came from us. So now we retain the rights to any master recordings we have ever made. Master recordings basically being any song that we have written and that have appeared on our studio albums. And, you know, I agree with Lars. I appreciate that at this time a lot of people were painting Lars as, a, as an arrogant asshole and like I understand where that mentality come from and like when I was less educated on Metallica when I was young, when I Disappear was my, you know, my intro into this band to a certain extent. I didn't really know what was going on, but the floating meme was, fuck Lars, you know, he's anti-fan, all this stuff up. But he, he put it eloquently there, like, Napster's a platform. He's not against Napster as a platform. He's against being on the platform. You know, it, there's nothing more simple than that. And obviously, the cold truth of it really is that even if Napster were to remove him, as I say, it's too late. It's going to be on all other torrents. It's, it, you know, the, it's, the gatekeeper was Napster to a certain extent, and it, the, the cat's out of the bag, you know. Um, but... You know, I, I think his logic is sound. You know, he's okay going after the fans thing that we're getting onto wasn't the best idea for him, but again, he acknowledges that. But you know, this wasn't a case of him saying, you know, go fuck yourself sort of thing. It was just like, just ask, you know, ask for permission out of courtesy. This is a band that own their master recordings, which means that you have to ask them, you know, and they didn't. And Lars put out a statement um, during the Snapster when the sort of court case was done quote, With each project, we go through a grueling creative process to achieve music that we feel is representative of Metallica at that very moment in our lives. We take our craft, whether it be the music, the lyrics, or the photos and artwork, very seriously, as do most artists. It's therefore sickening to know that art is being traded like a commodity, rather than the art that it is. From a business standpoint, this is about piracy also known as taking something that doesn't belong to you, and that is morally and legally wrong. The trading of such information, whether it's music, videos, photos, or whatever, is, in effect, trafficking in stolen goods. So again, Lars just kind of doubling down on what he's saying there. And look, I, like I'm sure many of you listening right now, have pirated a lot of songs. I've, you know, uh, I did I pirate Metallica songs? I don't want to admit that, because uh, Lars might be listening. But, you know, We've pirated a lot of stuff, and it is wrong, you know, uh, morally it is wrong, it is stealing, like, you know, I'm holding my hands up for doing it, like, I appreciate that, and, you know, so Metallica continues, you may argue differently to what, the comments, please comment below, I'd love to hear what you think on this this episode, especially, I know there's going to be some quite heated discussion, hopefully, the comment section now for Metallica episodes aren't that busy yet, I don't have that many subscribers yet on YouTube either, but maybe you can help that, maybe you can share us, anyway, Metallica hired, at this time, an online consulting firm, NetPD, to monitor Napster's service for a weekend, and during this weekend, a 
list of 317,377 internet users who it was claimed that had illegally traded Metallica MP3s were personally handed by an indignant Lars to Napster's San Mateo headquarters. This was 13 boxes of over 60,000 pages of legal work, and at Metallica's request, the users were banned from the site. Um, found this great interview with... Um, one of the one of the we mentioned before the universities that were using it. One of them was Indiana University, and there was a sophomore, uh, Chad Polson, who was founder of the website Student Against University Censorship. He said, "Quote: I can't believe Metallica have to or would sue their fans. I'm sure that nobody anticipated this. I think it's a big hypocrisy on their part because Metallica allows fans to record their live concerts and freely distribute their recordings, like Dave Matthews and Fish." Within days, uh, this is this is a more general article. Within days of this, Yale and Indiana University had blocked Napster's use on Canvas. And there's the other argument as well. Like you know, Napster had allowed trade. Um, sorry, Metallica. They become so synonymous. Metallica had allowed trading of their concerts. You know, they allowed kind of free movement of the music to a certain extent in the early days can that be equivocated with you know downloading crystal clear mp3s or even if they're slightly squidgy mp3s can that be equivocated with having access to this online store i don't think so you know i've watched a lot of videos on this topic and this is the main crux of the argument that that, that seems to come up and i don't i don't understand this kind of you know reasoning of this kind of thing i really don't think it makes any sense you know lars would speak about this whole home tape taping argument in a great interview with slash dot saying how is Napster different from home taping? I guess that's really the question. You know, home taping 10 or 15 years ago really was about you had vinyl records and you had the neighbor down the street with, you know, his Iron Maiden records that you wanted to make a tape of so you can play in your car. There is a difference. Comparing that kind of home taping to basically going on the internet and getting first generation perfect digital copies of master recordings from all the world, it's just not a fair comparison. We're talking about a network that includes millions and millions of people and tens and tens of millions of songs that these millions of people have. They can trade. So the old home taping is killing music. Well, okay, so you can borrow your neighbor's Iron Maiden record, blah, 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 you know, some guy down at school. There is a long way from that to what's going on right now with perfect first generational copies of music that's available to millions of people all over the world. Um, he was also asked in the interview if he or other members of Metallica had ever copied a tape, you know, record 8-track or CD. He said, yeah, I mean, I think we answered that before. Of course we have, okay? And of course it's a valid point. The bottom line is the size of it. The size of it and the quality of it. When we go in and check Napster out, we come up with 1.4 million copyright infringements in 48 hours. This is a different thing from trading cassette tapes with your buddy at school. I mean, 48 hours. So it's the quality, the quantity, and the scale. And on the same day that they handed in those um, papers, Lars had the notorious interview with the BBC Money Programme, which I can only find quotes of. I wish I could find a you know recording of it. But basically said, you know, if we have to start knocking on doors and confiscating hard drives, so be it. Again, <laughs> not the best move from Lars here. But again, in that So What article, he addresses this, um, saying, quote, I did an interview with BBC where I said some stuff about, yes, we will go over fans directly, or something like that. This has been a learning process for me also. I said some very arrogant and aggressive things about our fans and so on and i calmed down a bit and tried to be more just you know standing up for my own rights and be more neutral sticking to the facts and so on we actually reinstated thirty-five thousand people because we found that they've only been trading live recordings which is something that we've never objected to of course uh there's a giant backlash for a band <laughs> as massive as metallica to do something as controversial i guess at the time as that you know lots and lots of fans were very very angry um this next little piece comes from uh, a, a brilliant essay by the way uh, great 
great book as well, I should say, Metallica and Philosophy, A Crash Course in Brain Surgery, which is edited by um, William Irwin. Very, very interesting article in this. And this is from this is chapter 20, Justice for All, Metallica's Argument Against Napster and File Sharing. This is written by Robert A. Delfino. And, uh, quote, Bob Seska, another disgruntled fan, produced and released a short but brutal internet flash movie called Napster Bad. It betrayed Ulrich as a greedy, arrogant bastard and Hetfield as some kind of dim-witted giant monster. The movie ends with Ulrich shouting threats at Napster users, quote, Our team of lawyers and researchers have your names and we're going to hunt you down like the table scrap pilfering grab asses you are. Lars was well on his way to becoming, as he said in the documentary, some kind of monster, the most hated man in rock and roll. Like, good afternoon. My name is, you know, like, Lars Ulrich from Metallica. I've worked for years to get where I am today. Years and years of playing clubs and recording demo tapes. Me and my buddy, like, James Hetfield here, have shed blood, sweat, and motherfucking beer to get where we are today. Beer! Good! And now we're fucking wealthy beyond, you know, like, belief. I mean, the other day it was, like, obvious to me how much money money we have because our basis you know like motherfucking jason newstead bought his very first gold-plated ferrari and the fucking thing came with you know like a crew of naked filipino sex slaves and this mexican houseboy all free just because he's from metallica you know that's fucking rich man so where was i oh yeah all you post-pubescent boys who have bought like our albums and our t-shirts and our concert videos and and and, and t-shirts good yeah t-shirts you loyal fans who like bang your heads at our concerts and pay like two hundred dollars for a ticket, $20 for like a CD, like $50 for a Metallica t-shirt, and like $100 for a genuine Metallica cock ring. You're all fucking awesome, and we'll never forget you. You fucking made us rich. You fucking made us popular. You got us under the cover of, you know, like, Kerrang! magazine. I worship you. You, the Metallica fan. Beer! Good! Unless you download it until it sleeps from Napster. Then you're going to motherfucking jail. You're motherfucking meat. You'll be some fat, greasy, tattooed bastard's buttery cornhole. Who do you think you are? I mean, just, you know, because you, like, made us rich, you think you can get free stuff? Songs that we spent upwards of, you know, like, 24 to 48 hours writing and recording? I mean, James blew up for you. He ignited into a fiery inferno for you people. Fire bad! Fire bad! Our team of lawyers and researchers have your names, and we're gonna hunt you down like the table scrap pilfering grab asses you are. Grab asses bad! So to conclude, rock on Metallica fans, we'll see you on tour this summer, and you Napster users, we'll see you in jail getting gang raped. There also existed a website which isn't online at the moment um, by Mark Erison called Paylars, which basically Paylars.com, which allowed music consumers the opportunity to donate one dollar for each officially released Metallica album, and you know, there was lots of backlash as well um, from from famous people, not 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 just from fans, but from fellow musicians that he clashed with. Offspring said, um, "Quote: We happen to be of the school that it's nice to have more, not less fans." <laughs> kind of bitchy comment. And Deftones frontman uh, Chino Modeno or Chino Modeno, it's not like Metallica need any more than they've got. He says, which um, you know, I guess I guess you can sort of see that. But um, Lars was quick to fire back, saying, "Quote: I saw that idiot from Deftones saying shit about me." Is that the best argument people can come up with? Hearing people saying that was a little annoying for a few days, and now it's somewhere between funny and sad. It's sad and pathetic. Do we need more money? No, we're fine. Thank you for asking about the financial situation, but I'm taken care of for 10 fucking lifetimes. I'm cool. Everything's fine. Is it possible this could be something else? And yeah, that, I mean, 
that is the thing, really. It was a bit naive. You know, this band released a fucking black album, Load and Reload. Like, they're clearly not on Breadline. Like, they're clearly... This is Principles, which has kind of been, you know, a key foundation of Metallica throughout their career. So I kind of feel that as well. Maybe Lars didn't have to be so braggadocious about the money that he, that he earned. But, you know, clearly, he's a he's a multi-multi-millionaire. And I've got to say, I respect him. I do respect him for doing this. And I think most people now look at him as being, as being right, you know, which I don't imagine he's vindicated through that. I imagine he just knew that all along. And along with that Napster bad and um, alongside the Paylars, of course, Enter Napster is a great track, no doubt. Make a list, little Lars, never seen a star, put his fans behind bars. Can't you see, MP3 means you're stealing from me, you should have bought a CD. I keep my T1 open I'm stealing your songs right now We're in debt From the internet Sue our fans We're off to Napster, Napster land Metallica weren't stupid, they were aware of, you know, fans kind of backing out of people kind of you know burning this like i've seen on youtube as well people saying like oh i burn my metallica cds fuck this bass like get over yourselves like seriously like this is an interesting period of history but if this really affects you as a fan then you probably weren't a fan to begin with like you know what i mean just like i just think there's more important things in the world but um lars was saying quote if anyone doesn't want to be a metallica fan because of this then i'm saddened but i'm not going to change my stance Everyone talks in the Metallica backlash, but I Disappear has been the most requested song on radio for five weeks, and we've sold 400,000 tickets for our 12 US dates this summer, that being the Summer Sanitarium, summer sanitarium Tour. So I'm wondering if this backlash is from the same people who had fucking heart attacks when we cut our hair years ago, or we got Bob Rock to produce the album, or when we wrote Fade to Black and made a record of a symphony orchestra. Yeah, well said, Lars, well said. I, I, I think most fans kind of just, you know, brush aside, but hey, I could be wrong again. Please comment below if you're a diehard Metallica fan, but you think Lars is a prick for this you know so this rumbled on you know this case kind of frustrating for the band really just to kind of have this kind of you know pr disaster uh, even though perhaps they were morally correct and it kept going on and on and on and then you know eventually napster was destroyed um this comes oh well it's i think it's still around now it's already got embodied by rhapsody or those other streaming services that aren't spotify they seem to be you know ten a penny here something but again we get back to um mick walls enter night uh quote the battle over the legitimacy of the site raged on, and in July, pictures of Lars arriving in a limo to testify for the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee made the TV news across America. Eventually, federal judge Marilyn Hall Patel would order Napster to place a filter on its own site within 72 hours or be shut down immediately. A settlement was also reached between Metallica and Napster when the German media conglomerate Bertelsmann BMG looked into buying the rights to Napster for $94 million, with the site blocking users from file-sharing tracks by any artist that objected to the process. Presented publicly as a win-win situation for both sides, Metallica's lawsuit effectively closed Napster down in its original form. Less than two years later, the company would file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. By September 2002, when another judge blocked its sale to Bertelsmann under US bankruptcy law, Napster was obliged to liquidate its assets. These days, Napster exists as an online provider of legal downloads for subscription fees to members. The real loser in the war with Napster was arguably Metallica. Such was the public scar it left on the band's public face. Such was the permanent scar it left on the band's public face. Metallica may have all the legal rights in the Napster case, but publicly it was the website that would occupy the moral high ground, becoming Robin Hood to the band's nasty Sherrick of Nottingham. And yeah, I think, again, as I was saying, 
they won, but maybe it was a theoric victory to a certain extent. And, you know, a lot of people disagreed at the time, including high, high profile people. There's a fascinating interview that you can watch on YouTube, uh, Charlie Rose, which I, which I played a little bit of at the start there, where it's um, Charlie Rose claimed in for public enemies Chuck D and Lars talking about this. And I've got to say, Chuck D comes across as mighty ignorant. It's not his fault because it was 2000. Who's to know what this would have spanned to? But back then, He's seeing it as this kind of radio form. He's arguing that most artists, you know, want to use it. Metallica in the minority there. It's a publicity thing, you know. And Charlie Rose quite presciently says, like, because you know, I think Chuck D was helping to score movies at the time and maybe still does. You know, this could this could expand to movies. Uh, you know, this could go anywhere, really. And, and Lars kind of hits the nail on the head here because piracy is everywhere now. You can pirate comic books. You can pirate software. You can pirate anything. I, I can't imagine you know, the losses that have been wrought to the entertainment industry and beyond through this, you know, let alone that. So, Lars again on the money and, and watch that interview. It's a fascinating time capsule, you know, to see these two really kind of intelligent musical icons um, debating the legacy of Napster and beyond. You know, it's clear we have, uh, we spe respect you know that we have different opinions on this, but I it's just about believe... the control. Uh, yeah, and yeah. what you were saying about, of course there will be, you know, in a year or five years or whatever, there will be softwares you can download movies. Right. I mean, this goes everywhere. This goes literature, poetry, right. Right. the whole nine yards. It really is about this whole perception about if it's intellectual, do I have a right to it for free because technology allows me to If it can be downloaded, it, it can be free is what somebody's going to say. It's going to throw commerce and the whole perception of, of all this stuff completely on its head. And does it mean that the only things that, that you can't apply this to are people working in assembly lines? But, but I mean, it's just... I, I... And, uh, you know, the situation couldn't have been put better, really, by um, Paul Brannigan and Ian Winwood in the fantastic second volume of Into the Black. Check out my interview, by the way, with Paul Brannigan uh, early on the channel. We had a great little chat there. Quote, Anyone who still believes that Ulrich's zealous and sometimes foolhardy crusade against Napster was wrong in both principle and practice might care to compare the music business as it was then to how it appears today. Today, the scene is one of almost total ruin. While one might not care to share tears for the fate of people who work at record companies, or did work at them, at least, the effects on bands themselves are equally stark. Labels are signing far fewer acts, and of those they do sign, more are being dropped and at a faster rate than ever. A look at the headline of European summer festivals revealing, reveals a dwindling pool of old the bands, a fact that, ironically, has served Metallica well, whose status is preserved because of the fact that with a few notable exceptions, Artie Monkey, say, or Biffy Clara, Artie Monkey, just as a quick tangent, um, you know, the UK band that are now joined around the world, I remember they, they got really big off the internet, off their MySpace, that they didn't create, uh, I think it's just fans put it together, and that's how they distribute the songs, so, you know, there can be anomalies here, but I think for the most part, it's pretty bleak news, anyway, continuing, quote, the industry no longer has the infrastructure to support the slow growth of a group from undercard act to headline attraction, yes, there are more bands in existence today than was the case in 1999, but these bands come and then go quicker than ever before, Napster was the invention of people, who regard quantity as being more valid than quality. It was not merely that the site failed to place financial value on the songs and albums it offered its subscribers, but rather that it failed to ascribe value of any kind. The logical conclusion of such a mindset is a world where music is entirely disposable. But as Lars Ulrich pointed to the future, the world merely stared at his finger. Couldn't have put it better myself, really, yeah. So that is the history of Lars and Napster. I mean, we could have went way deeper there. How long have we gone here? about half hour or so, you know, I, didn't, I, I wanted to keep it fairly concise, you know, there's lots of great books on here, I'll just, just, just to quote as well what I was quoting from mainly, 
as Paul Bradigan and Ian Winwood's Into the Black, the second volume, Mick Wall's Enter Night biography, Metallica and Philosophy, which was edited by William Irwing, and it was Robert Aldafino's uh, Justice for All, Metallica's Argument Against Napster and Internet File Sharing essay, and then, of course, also the So What article, um, which which was uh, Napster and Beyond is what it's called, um, from, I believe, the 2000 issue. So, yeah, comment below. Did you have any experiences with Metallica and Napster at that time? Were you a fan at that time? And I know a lot of people listen to the show. I've had a lot of older fans already on the show, you know, who were around at that time. Well, what was it like? You know, I'd, I'd love to know because I am very, very curious. Do you agree with my judgment that effectively Lars, you know, he handled it in a kind of a bolshy way, but he was effectively correct. And I think, you know, most people sort of realize that now seeing that barren landscape really and i think i think looking at festival headliners is such a good way of putting it actually because you know i've been going to festivals for about 10 years now and i've seen like two or three bands that have gone from like i'm thinking like maybe kings of leon muse like you know a few kasabian but kasabian are terrible but you know <laughs> i don't know a few but certainly not, you know, when you go back and look at festival headliners in the 80s and the 70s, like, who are these bands, you know? But they just, they kept coming up and going down, and they're more exciting, I think, to see bands going on that spot. But, you know, Metallica are still here, importantly. So, yeah, as I say, let me know what you think. Please subscribe to the show. Please comment. Leave us a review on iTunes as well. Um, greatly appreciate Push up the algorithm there. Um, you know, recently... Ever since the um, Ray Burton and the Fleming interviews got shared, there's been a real boon in listeners' uh, downloads. So I want to say thank you, hello to everyone that's listening to the show, all the ones who are joining us, all the ones that have been there since day dot. If you want to come on the show, do a song, discuss Metallica, get at me, metallicapod at gmail.com. I can't guarantee that it'll be in the near future, but you'll certainly be down on the list and we'll certainly get to that song or the topic eventually. But yeah, this has been Tom. Alpha Metallica, check out the Patreon as well. Can't leave without plugging that, of course. But yeah, thank you guys for listening and um, stop illegally downloading, you know? Well, I guess, I guess the damage is done, but you know. Peace! Peace!